Hello there. You are listening to At The Well, the weekly Bible podcast that helps you see yourself in the stories of scripture. I'm Jarrell. I'm Charles. And I'm Eli. And you are joining us today for the next installment of our sixth season here at The Well, Worthy of Honor, where we are highlighting awesome women in the Bible to learn all that we can from their stories. And as you know, for every episode this season, we will be joined by a different awesome woman who is currently at work building the kingdom of God. This week's guest is a performing arts teacher in Detroit Public Schools slash department head and arts integration specialist. She's been doing youth work for 17 years, is on the board of Youth Works Detroit, on the leadership for Detroit Christian Detroit Christian Outreach. Did I say that right? Detroit Community Outreach. Goodness gracious, I botched the admin right off rip. And was in a PBS movie. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, he bears and she bears. Miss Kathleen Wright. Kathleen, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks, guys, for having me. It's very good to have you. So I, I want to cut right to the chase. This PBS movie, give us, give us some details. Yeah, what's the skinny on that? I did not know this. You didn't know this? Um, no. <laughs> one of my professors films, he had a dance company. He used to be like a Martha Graham dancer. And then he had a dance company and he filmed this movie for PBS about Cezanne, the painter. And so he roped some of the college dancers in with his company to be like bathers, because you know how Cezanne painted like a lot of bathers. And so we had to be dancers and slash bathers in the painting that like came off the canvas. So it was a lot of hours in like a cold film studio. <laughs> He's like watercolored costumes, filming in the studio, various points of this piece popping off the walls of a painting. That's so cool. Well, he started in the piece. So that was my movie. And it periodically is on like Michigan PBS. It's not a very <laughs> widely curated piece. Yet. Ab- after after this podcast, it's gonna it's gonna gain notoriety. <laughs> we don't have that clout, but that sounds amazing. <laughs> Oh goodness. I like uh how much credit you gave us for being uh maybe more cultured than we are is like, oh you know, Cezanne and like the painting with the dancers like, yeah, 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 no, totally. I, I know what that is and who that is, everything. <laughs> the artist. Mm-hmm. The artist. Mm-hmm. I, I surmised it was an artist, and that's about as far as I could go. <laughs> See, you knew. There you go. There we go. Mm-hmm. So let's uh this that's probably the one of the coolest fun facts we've had so far. Way to just drop it in there. We're going to get things started proper with our question of the week segment. If you'd like to submit a question for us to answer during this segment, you can email us at threeguysatthewell at gmail.com. That's the number three. Then guys at the well, all one word and lowercase at gmail.com. Now, this question is actually from my wife, Sandy, who knows Kathleen well and said, well, if Kathleen's going to be on, this should probably be your question of the week. What is your favorite musical? So this this is dealer's choice, either a show that you have seen or listened to or you want to see or want to listen to more favorite musical. I want to hear you guys first. Ooh, I went through a run of like a year after Sandy and I got married where I was like fortunate enough to see a few different shows like live and before that I really hadn't. Um, I'm going to say Hamilton, which is like an easy thing to say, but it is just so good and moving and triumphant and I learned so much history from it um so probably Hamilton but also 
Aladdin had a flying carpet, an honest to God flying carpet on the stage. And to this day, I cannot figure out how they made it fly. So Hamilton is my favorite, but I think that Aladdin mastered some Harry Potter dark arts to get the carpets flying. It's kept me awake every night since. There you go. Have you seen Cursed Child yet? The Harry Potter musical? No, I've heard not great things. <laughs> it actually wasn't bad. Okay. Surprisingly. They had some cool special effects. If you're into special effects. Oh, I am. It was okay. pretty sweet. So you, you should go you, see it. And they're reworking it post-pandemic into one show instead of two. Ooh. Okay. You've changed my mind. I'm all about the special effects. Put in a plug there. I loved seeing the Lion King at, at the Kennedy Center years ago. It was fantastic. I think that was the first live show that I've ever seen. Yeah. Music, costumes, lighting, everything was awe inspiring. So, yep, that's mine. That's what we're doing this year. Ooh. That's my I, third time doing it with kids, but it's like so magical. Oh, nice. Nice. It's so good. I could, I could, I could say so many. I feel like every show that I've seen live is like my favorite show. Um, I just there's something about musical theater that is just magical. And um, I would say the show, my favorite show that I haven't seen would be Hamilton. Um, I would say the least known show that I've only seen the film version of is the last five years. Great great musical on the movie adaptation. I want to see it on the stage production. Um, and in terms of generally, I don't know, I could rattle off a bunch. West Side Story, uh, that'd be the obvious choice because of my Puerto Rican heritage. Um, you know, uh, Lion King is amazing. I absolutely agree with you. That on stage is just art, just art. Um, Les Mis is definitely one of my favorites. And I really like the character uh, of Tevia uh, in Fiddler on the Roof. And uh, so those are just a couple of, of my favorites. I know we we're only supposed to give one, but I can't just, I can't only give one. Those are great ones. Um, my current favorite is Dear Evan Hansen. So good. Also plug to like Michigan alum, Justin and Benj. Shout out to like Go Blue. They wrote it and they were awesome. I was in a dance class with them my freshman year and they like made up excuses for why they couldn't go to class. Cause they had like mumps and like scabies and whatever else. Cause they were writing music in the halls. <laughs> they didn't want to go to dance class. They like flunked out of freshman bar because they didn't want to go to class, but now they're famous. <laughs> so <laughs> they wrote Greatest Showman and like Dear Evan Hansen and a bunch of other musicals. So they're crashing it. Shout out to Justin and Bench. But Dear Irvin Hansen is amazing. And the movie's coming out this December. The movie version of the musical hmm. is coming out. But it's an amazing story. And it's great for teachers talking about suicide and mental health. And it's a really great one. Next to Normal is also another really great mental health favorite musical of mine. Oh, wow. I never really. heard of Next to Normal, but I have to look into that. Awesome. I've seen it live, but not like a Broadway version. I've seen a community theater version of it. Well, mm. I've seen the bootleg Broadway version of Next to Normal, but not the live version. <laughs> but I've seen the live community theater version. But Dear Evan Hansen is my current favorite. 
I'm nice. I'm excited for the movie because I haven't seen the stage production. Um, and yeah, I I'm excited. I've read the have you read the book, Kathleen? I mm -hmm. read the book and having no context for what I was getting into, or yeah. I was a little it, it was weird. I don't know if that was your experience. It was hard to follow. And yeah. I was like, I think I just need to see this on stage. You need to see it on stage. It's <laughs> the music's just incredible. Yeah. The lyrics are incredible. Yeah, I really felt like it was missing something. I was like, this is not a story to be written. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, it would be like if they tried to make La La Land a book, oh, which yeah. they also wrote. That would be a terrible. It wouldn't translate. No, not at all. Awesome. Well, let's uh, get into the main topic of our uh, episode and just this whole season, Women Worthy of Honor. Everything we do here at The Well is wrapped up in several verses that we've referenced throughout, but one theme verse we keep coming back to this season, uh, and that is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so here at The Well, as brothers, as friends, we want to be thoroughly trained for every good work and equipped for every good work. We want our listeners to be engaging with this podcast in a way that helps them to get more trained for every good work. And that means taking all scripture as God breathed as useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. And we get a kick out of taking the little nuggets of scripture that seem um, small or not talked about as much and really thinking about what they reveal about God and just kind of the uh, kernels of wisdom in there, even as they're, if they're easily passed over. And as men, we noticed in a particular way, our uh, very bougie and mustache aficionado colleague, Eli, pointed out really early in the season, or just in our time doing this podcast, that one of the ways that we as men have to do that more intentionally is by looking at the stories of women in the Bible, because there aren't nearly as many relative to men. They're not talked about from, at least in our own experience, haven't been talked about um, from the fronts, from places of leadership as much. And just as guys, we have a, a particular privilege to learn from the successes of failures of dudes in scripture primarily that we can more relate to because they're dudes. And so if we're not intentional to break away from that and actually see the way God reveals more of his character, more of his faithfulness and his goodness and his ability to build the kingdom through women, it could really easily pass us by. But because 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17 are a thing, um, we want to be intentional to not let that happen, to not for us or for our listeners, which is why we have uh, wonderful sisters like Kathleen on to kind of speak from their perspective. So uh, with that in mind, Kathleen, we'd love to hear you expand a bit on in your experience, what aspects of Christian womanhood or women's ministry aren't seen well or understood? I think I want to echo what Lydia said a couple episodes ago, um, that women often get pigeonholed into their roles in Christian ministry. And I know it sounds a little hypocritical coming from a teacher because I often serve in these roles, but women often get pigeonholed into childcare and serving refreshments or food, like hospitality roles. And that's the main, that's it. 
And that's all that they typically do in a lot of ministries. And they're both needed and they're both really important to the body. I think hospitality is a lost art in our world. And it's very important. And it's one way I think the church, I do want to echo the importance of hospitality. I don't want to bash it and then make it think it's not important because it is one way that I think Christians can stand out in a world where we have lost hospitality. Um, and it's a great way to minister to people and make them feel welcomed before you can really outreach um, and preach the gospel. However, men can serve food just as well as women can serve food. And um, young women, particularly, I think, um, often get pigeonholed as they're new to be like, serve refreshments. But that's something that older women can do just happily, I found, as someone who's in leadership in my community, that the older women, women's groups, and like the older retirees are just as happy to serve lemonade and cookies after <laughs> church or donuts and coffee after church. Um, and a lot of the younger women who have more energy um, and maybe more time um, or spare time for ministry could maybe do more involved services in the church. Um, and they're getting overlooked um, because they are a woman and maybe it hasn't typically been done in that organization. Um, but I think that the church needs to kind of relook at some of their gender roles and where they're placing women. Um, same as men can serve in childcare and in children's ministry as well. I really think that if particularly in children's ministry um, and in Bible study classes. If you have a male teaching the word of God, it is powerful and it carries weight. Um, I teach elementary school and when we have a male teacher, that carries weight with those kids. Um, it is important and it doesn't have to be all women that are teaching children's ministry. Um, so I just think we need to kind of expand outside of those roles and look at that. It doesn't just have to be women. Um, who are pigeonholed. Um, I heard a talk recently um, from a brother who said that single women are kind of a secret weapon in church ministry because they aren't super focused on their families yet. They're not um, building a family and they often are more generous with their service um, time. And I think that that is a bit sexist too, because single men also do the same. I think single people in general are secret weapons of the church. So it's not just single women, but um, we can look at, you know, just where we are placing. I just felt honored by that role of like being seen as a single woman who has given a lot of my, my um, 20s and 30s to service in the church of, you know, really looking at where's the Lord called us, where are our gifts, and then where can we be used? I never thought I would be serving on the leadership team for, you know, a youth organization or for a larger Christian community, but that's where the Lord has called me, and I'm thankful that our greater body has seen the importance of male and female leadership, and that was kind of my other point, is that um, just because you might have male headship doesn't mean that male don't need women along that process. Um, Jesus had women advisors along the way. He had the Marys, he had Martha, and he sat with them at their feet even, um, and he listened. And I think we'd have a lot less scandal 
in our churches, particularly in the area of sexual abuse, could prevent a lot more sexual abuse. If we had a little more insight from the balance of male and female perspective and leadership, um, I think that's just one area in which sometimes women see things a little bit differently. We have a different nature. We're built differently than men, and that's God's design. And I think that that's just important as we're planning things, as we're working together in leadership and unity, that we work together and that we have an equal voice and equal footing along the way. So just, you know, giving an equal voice and building leadership teams and churches and boards and um, and communities that are you know, balanced male and female, and then making sure that there is a voice. It's not just, you know, a front. But, oh yeah, there's some women on there, but so there, you know, some women. That's my perspective. So as a follow-up question, I'll ask you the same one that I asked Lydia then. Do you mentor or minister to a young woman, young women in general, um, who has a gifting that is atypical for the environment that she's serving in? That's a good question. Um, I would have her talk to someone who is maybe like her pastor or leader. So say she's talking with me first like, to kind of work through what are her specific giftings so if you're just not happy and you're just grumbling and like you're always complaining sometimes you get pigeonholed real quick as like the complainer and you get kind of a label over you so being proactive with volunteering then okay so let's figure out what are your giftings and let's start volunteering for then different committees and um different areas outside of the typical areas you've been pigeonholed in. So, you know, if there's a committee that's going to put on something different, say, I don't know, a revival, and it's going to be, you know, worship nights and, you know, get on that team, get on planning, or there's going to be some sort of teaching series, get on that committee. And if they need backing, go to another woman who's maybe a little higher up in leadership and ask for some backing. Um, to go with them. Sometimes it's easier to, you know, have a sh another voice along with you when you're younger. That's something that helped me out when I was younger in leadership is having someone older be like, you know what, I see leadership potential in this younger woman and they advocate for you. But yeah, just really identifying those gifts and hearing from the Lord, like what is, what is the Lord calling you to do? Because wherever the Lord is calling you to do, that's where you're going to have the grace and the, mm. the doors will open too. Amen you hit on a uh, a couple of like soapboxes for me and like your kind of opening spiel of uh the the pigeonholing of women into hospitality which is like obviously there's a lot of service in that mm -hmm. but also like the pigeonholing of men out of things that are like nurturing yeah. and just kind of this oh if you're a guy then you either don't want to work with kids don't have to work with kids you're just like shouldn't um and like at, as a teacher i i recognize that that's nonsense so i'm gonna i'm trying to like save the real soapboxy things for the sound check that we might do after this recording for the sake of time um but for, so you're like you've said in a very uh, unique position because you like see the like you the value in things like hospitality you are a teacher and have like chosen um to be around uh kids and so you do that in a secular context but also in a ministry context um and so i'm i'm curious for for you and this i think this is similar to a question we've asked in the season before 
Um, you mentioned like headship and the need to obviously still have women be a part of that. What are there like situations that you've been in? Like you mentioned having men in the classroom and that being a really powerful thing. Um, what other like the situations have you been in in which you saw an example of, okay, this is a guy uh, exercising headship in a way that isn't just like everyone out of my way, I'm the leader, but is also, but is like needed, but also taking inputs and also like taking insight from the women around him. I'm not saying this very articulately, but yeah. what does that look like uh, from your perspective, both in ministry context, but also in just the workplace? Like where have you seen that done well? Yeah, I think I have really good examples around me. I have a principal who's really great about that because he really takes he's a male principal but he really takes the value of his like female all his department heads are female um and he even though there's a lot of male staff and he just really values our opinions and like even though he might have like what he thinks and he has the ultimate decision he will like switch his plan for a better idea anytime in which he thinks it's a you know he sees through you know, the, if we can come up with the reasonings and what will actually happen, but he also will stand in the gap for us and protect us, you know, when he knows top down that like, there's something over us that's going to, you know, someone from the district, for example, is going to come on and hit us. He'll take the hit for us. So sometimes like having a male over us, you know, to be the one like, you know what, I'm going to stand in this gap and protect you um, and shield you from this. Or I'm going to be the one that's, you know, just going to make the ultimate decision when people disagree. So like, you know, a bunch of women will disagree on how to do something. They'll just be the deciding factor and say, you know what, I've heard both decisions. I'm going to be the ultimate decision overall. Um, just kind of being an even voice, an even keel, but really listening and being fair and balanced. I think a really good example in our community sense um, and on the Michigan end is John Wilson. I'll give him a shout out. Um, he is an amazing job of uh, inviting women's voices onto leadership, um, both on like our board in Youth Works Detroit and in um, DCO and in um, Word of Life communities in um, Michigan of just really listening to the women, making sure their voices are elevated um, actually holding off men's voices and being like, hold on, they didn't speak. We need to hear from them. Stop. We're going to actually redo that. We need to change our plan, you know, especially when it's about um, children and protection. Um, so really making sure that we need to listen to the women elevating, you know, using his authority being at the top to elevate those that are, you know, whether it's a minority situation like he's doing with our um, race uh, in unity um, book studies we're doing right now and then our growth we need to do as a community or whether it's with women or whether it's with children and child protection, he's using his position, I think, to elevate voices right now. So I think that's a great way. I love the uh, mm -hmm. kind of the imagery there. We, there's a bit of a teaser for our Patreon. We may have just not recorded we need to do that still we may have just watched uh, a movie for our jesus in the movies movie segment called a quiet place that unintentionally but kind of intentionally does a very good job of demonstrating in our view of demonstrating 
men and women's roles within a family and like I, I can't wait to record this episode but one of the things that like just in us gushing over it for the second time that we watched it all together after seeing it was the notion of like the husband in his role wasn't this like domineering presence of just making decisions for the family though he did have to make a lot of decisions for the family but he was regularly the first line of defense and that every single time there's a moment where the family needs protecting or defending, he like doesn't hesitate and steps into it before the rest of them even really know what's happening. And um, I think to talking about your principle there, um, there's a there's a real grace and a beauty to adopting that leadership as as a man, as a married man who like thinks about these things in terms of headship. There's like the Lord calls us into leadership that is service-based that is laying down your life like founded on that um and so a lot of good examples that like i've seen in that like as you've articulated isn't just a guy saying i'm gonna make this decision because i have the power to or i'm gonna speak on this because like i have the authority in this context it's i'm going to make this decision even because it needs to be made even if it is uncomfortable or even if it like feels more questions that I have to deal with to spare other people from it. I'm going to protect the people who are under my care because that's kind of what the role is. And I don't know. I yeah. think I just want to like thank you for sharing that because I think it, it ties in with some stuff that we were talking about uh off mic and I think projects what like headship actually is. You know, it's not flexing. It's like choosing to like step into the difficult spaces and like take things for the family, for the team, for the department. And uh, that's often misunderstood. Yeah. I also really appreciate uh, the language you use in terms of uh, men in leadership elevating uh, the voice and the opinion and the, the thoughts of women. I think that is really striking to me. And I think there's something about that for guys in leadership to to like hear and to uh, be warned, like it's really easy, um, not necessarily just for women, but maybe for quieter men to for their voices to be washed out um, and to realize that like we are a body and are different parts of the body and God knit us as a body. And so everyone's opinions and thoughts should be heard. And, and as a servant leader, as you were saying, Jarrell, it it, the, that person's responsibility is actually to elevate uh, the the unheard voice, and 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 oftentimes that's women, but it could also be you know a timid person. And I I really appreciate that as as someone who is in leadership myself, as a husband and a father, um, it's a it's a reminder to me that I need to elevate Chelsea's voice. I need to elevate the women that are alongside me in leadership as well. Uh, so I really appreciate that, that thought. <laughs> I know a lot of women, myself included, like there's only so many times you can get shut down to before you just stop speaking up. And like, I have got a lot bolder teaching in Detroit and then <laughs> fighting for my students. And I'm much better advocating for my students than I am advocating for myself. And I know that about myself, but it's easier to advocate for someone else for sure. But on leadership teams, if someone's purposely being like, wait, I haven't heard you speak up. What's your opinion? That really helps, you know, especially for a woman. Then when they're constantly tired of like 
interrupting being like, well, actually, can I say something, you know, if they're the only one in like a room full of louder voices. So on that, like, uh, before we move on to the passage, just like, you, as you mentioned, like finding your voice, especially with like advocating for your kids, what did, what does that process look like for you? Uh, like, how did you come to be in a position where you were able to find more of a confidence and like a zeal to like really like go to bat for your kids and in so doing like advancing the kingdom in your vocation? I couldn't not like, I mean, I just feel like there's no other option with my students. My students are my vocation. Um, my teaching is my vocation. So it's hard, you know, to teach and to see injustice, especially where I teach, you know, and to see it happen for so many years and not speak up. And so just learning, you know, over the course of my first year watching and learning and taking it all in, but by my second year starting to learn how to speak up. Well, actually it was the end of my first year. I had to start learning how to use my voice and figure out, okay, how to start advocating for what they need and how to figure out how to speak up. And so it was slow by like creating proposals and things. Okay, well, here's what I can do to start, but it gets louder, the more confident you get, I think. Um, and learning how to do it without being like rude and abrasive, I think to learn how to use your voice in an effective way. Um, but in teaching it to use, learn to teach my students how to elevate their voices as well, because collectively our voices together are a lot stronger. You know, elevating their voices along, you know, with the teacher's voices, but sitting here and doing nothing is never gonna help advance the kingdom or help advance, you know, education or our city. I love that. That first thing you said in response to the question, just, I couldn't not. Like, it's just, yeah. it was, it's a, it's a work that had to be done. And so you stepped into it. You know, it's very much like uh, Deborah from Judges. So uh, how's that for a segue? We're going to be, we're going to be talking about um, Deborah uh, from the book of Judges today, who ties genuinely very well into kind of how you teed us up for it there. So if you, the passage for today is going to be Judges chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. If you have your Bibles and you aren't driving, you can start turning there now while I set the scene. The book of Judges falls into a familiar pattern. Israel falls into sin. God allows a rival nation to seize control of them. God sends a judge to call the people to repentance. Israel repents. God gives them victory over their enemies. It's predictable, but still makes for one of the most entertaining books of the Bible. Deborah was one such judge. During Israel's oppression under Jabin, king of Canaan, and the commander of his army, Sisera, Deborah knew that the Lord was ready to deliver them into Israel's hands. There was just one thing standing in the way. Barak, the very timid commander of Israel's army. So Deborah decides it's time to have a word with him. When Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in Harasheth Hagoyim. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron, and for 20 years he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. Now Deborah, was, Deborah a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time, and she would sit under the palm tree 
of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam from, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord our God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor, take with you 10,000 10, men of the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulun, and against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hands? And Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. So she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. He went up with 10,000 men under his command, and Deborah went with him. Now Heber the Kenite, of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the terebinth tree at Zanaim, which is beside Kadesh. And they reported to Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. So Sisera gathered together all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him from Harasheth and Goyim to the river Kishon. Then Deborah said to Barak, up, for this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harasheth And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword not a man was left. Gentlemen and lady, what can we learn from Deborah's story? We can learn so much from Deborah's story. Holy, holy moly. Um, first of all, I, I think it's really important to point out the fact that unlike a lot of other judges, um, not only is she the only female judge, but she's also the only one who was named a prophet and she is one of the only few who actually served in a judicial role, um, despite the name judge. Because um, most of the judges were just military leaders to some degree. Um, but in verse, what is it? Uh, or in verse verses four to five, yes, she's described as a prophetess, um, which means she like had this spokesperson for God um, role, um, but she got to sit beneath a palm named after her, which is really dope, <laughs> and the people of Israel came up to her, it says, for judgment, um, and uh, I was looking it up, Charles, this is funny, um, but it, it it's interpreted in this uh, in mishpat, the word that you brought up during our Patreon-exclusive episode on justice, um, and basically, um, Kathleen, when we were reading through this uh, and learning about this particular word for justice, uh, it's in its verb form, it means to act, uh, the act of deciding a case, uh, the act of bringing to reconciliation. And so for all of Israel, um, she was actually serving in a judicial role and like helping people navigate, all right, we have this discrepancy. How do we apply the law of God into this scenario so that we can be right with the Lord and with one another. Like when you look at how big her role is, you're like, oh, oh, that's intense. 
she had a devout knowledge of God's law. She, like the mind of this woman, and and that reading that gave me a lot of insight into like, oh, she's an incredible figure in biblical history. Not only that, but I was struck by her boldness, and particularly when when uh, in in light of the timidness of Barak, right? So she she's the spokesperson of God, which is pretty bold. Um, you know, we know in scripture, there are some prophets who have some messages from the Lord that take a lot of boldness to proclaim, you know, repent, uh, you know, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but she called out Barak in, in, in verse, um, uh, what is it? Six, has not the Lord commanded? She called him out. The Lord spoke to you. Are you not going to do something about it? Are you not going to do what the Lord, like she just straight up was uh, the boldness it takes to do that um, is, it's just striking to me, it, especially in the face of like Barack clearly had heard from the Lord in some way, shape or form and had not acted. And Deborah called him out on it. Um, and then the character of Barack is just like deplorable. Because he, because he's like, okay, God said something, I should do it. But instead, he says, "Well, Deborah, if you go with me, then I'll go," which says something about Deborah's character as well. That clearly, as you pointed out, Eli, the people of Israel saw her as a powerful woman, as someone whom the Lord was with, and so did Barak. And he should not have had to do this. Like the Lord clearly commanded him, he should have. And, and, and the Lord in the prophecy says, like, I'm handing this, you know, <laughs> sister on the army to you. But he said, I want you, Deborah, to be with me. And, and to me, I read that as like, because God is with you. And like, you are the representation of the physical presence of God to us. And I need you with me. And I just, I think that says a lot about her character and the way she conducted herself and her ministry. Yeah, I found it was interesting that he didn't, he was timid and didn't trust God, but he trusted Deborah so fully that he didn't even ask for like a battle plan or like a why now or like why him? He was just like, if you go, I'll go. Like he didn't trust God, but he trusted her. He trusted the woman. So again, of course, you know, it's the weight of Deborah and what she carried, but also, you know, for a man who was in military to not even question such a big battle plan. That is surprising to me, you know, but also to show he didn't have faith in God, but he could see faith in God and someone else, which, you know, is another testament to Deborah that her faith in God was so strong that others could see that faith. And it was radiating off of her enough that he was like, well, if you go, the Lord is with you. I'll be covered under your protection. And kind of like, I've been reading a little bit about the tree of Deborah, and it was like a sign of the Lord's protection. There's like a lot of signs or the signs of the Lord's work that happened under the tree, um, different interpretations of like in Judaism of what that tree symbolized, um, that it was like, it was a place of judgment, but it was also a religious place and a religious site as well, like an umbrella of protection basically is what it meant, but it was like he was under the umbrella of Deborah and her protection as he went out, but really under the Lord's umbrella. That's really interesting. Yeah. I love that. I love that imagery. 
Um, in terms of like another point of her character, um, like she didn't seek, and this is, she didn't seek to replace Barack at all. So she marched, she marched alongside him, but she didn't say, "Fine, I'll go instead of you," because I clearly, like, despite the fact that she clearly had the like boldest enough for the both of them, <laughs> and just really wonderfully in verse fourteen. She says, and Deborah said to Barak, up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? And so then he moves. And so, like, there's this beautiful notion of, I mean, maybe even to your point, Charles, everyone would have followed her into battle had she just marched in front of them. Um, but ultimately, she's like, no, 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 God told you to move. He didn't direct me to move. And so, like, there's this very intense understanding of, like, just because... You said something really wonderfully, and I don't want to misquote it. I typed it down. You said, there will be, Kathleen, you said, wherever the Lord is calling you to is where you're going to experience his grace. Um, you said that in, like, discerning, like, role and, and uh, uh, like, I, this is a follow-up to me uh, asking you, uh, how do you help somebody who has, like, a, a particular gifting that doesn't fit into the norm? And so, like, in that grace, like you can find a lot of uh, where the Lord is in 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 the position that He's put you in, and her position was as judge. Her position was uh, as uh, as a prophetess, as a spiritual leader for Israel at the time. But her her gifting was not as a military leader, and she didn't pretend to be one, despite the fact that she had the character, certainly had the character of one. Um, and so, like there's there's a there's an incredible discernment that goes on in like the couple of days when you're dealing with the people who are oppressed um, and you're trying, you know, urgently to move them out of that position and okay, the Lord's with us. He's going to get us through this. I can only imagine what it means to carry the weight of a people on your shoulders, trust the Lord with it all, uh, but then be stuck with somebody who is supposed to be making the moves and isn't. Um, but like I, 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 the vigor that she's chosen, her encouragement to Barack is actually really uh, not beautiful, but powerful. Um, she's stern with him. <laughs> I like it. The sign of a good leader to know that you need to like train up the next leaders. Yeah. And that doesn't always happen. A lot of times leaders are like, well, we'll just, it's easier to get it done ourselves. Yeah. It would have been easier for her to just do it herself. Yeah. yeah. But her patience. And I think sometimes I find that myself in leadership is like, well, sometimes it's just easier to run a kid's program. But I'm like, no, it'd actually be better to train up more people to run the kid's program. Yeah. But that's what she did. She made him do it. Yeah. Even though it took time and probably a whole lot of more stress. Clearly. <laughs> and maybe even delayed the plan. Like, because she was, she's the one who approached him asking him, like, didn't God tell you to do this thing? And so, like, maybe he was even taking longer. Maybe she approached him under this palm, this, this, like, religious space of a palm. It's like, you know, we're here under God's provision. Um, and here we're going to win. So, like, I don't know. I'm, I don't want to go too far beyond the passage. But if I'm thinking about what their actual interaction was like, it's like, come on, dude. <laughs> Catch up. Um but reading this has challenged me to understand, like, one, God's timing, and two, God's, um, like, how he dispenses out, not roles, but, like, ability and gifting. Mm -hmm. It's just, like, 
know that clearly somebody was more was more competent in this arena, but um, like the ability to restrain herself um, and say like, okay, I know how I can get him to do what needs to be done. Here is the encouragement I can offer. Here's the truth I can offer. Um, and then I'm still just really impressed with the fact that people came to her with all their problems and said like this, how, how do we apply the law to this? Um, the critical mind that Deborah must have had, like that God developed in her is amazing. And yeah, it goes to like the beauty and the diversity of the gifts that God gives his children. Like yeah. she clearly was one of, if not the only person at that time who had the ability to do that. Uh, and I mean, the story shows it. Um, another thing I, 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 when I was reading this, particularly that you were speaking on verse 14, where she basically gives Barack a rallying cry. Like they are, the armies are literally across from each other and they're just sitting there. And she's like, up, for this is the day that God is giving sister. And I, as I read it, I was immediately transported to Lord of the Rings in King Theoden before the Rohirrim um, in, the, in the turn of the king in the last battle where he gives his speech. He says, arise, arise, riders of Rohan, Rohan and, and like goes on and, and like calls them into battle. And I was like, oh shoot, Deborah is basically King Theoden and King Theoden is a boss, um, you know? So it's just like, again, more props to the character and it goes to what you you were saying as well, Eli and Kathleen. Like, she she knew what she needed to do, but she didn't overstep. She gave encouragement. She gave that rallying cry in the word, but she didn't like. Why aren't you doing this? Fine, give me the spear. I'll lead the guys. <laughs> yeah, there's a. I think you all have all touched on it a ton, but just the character and strength of Deborah to be that like catalyst for let's go into the land that the Lord has given us. It seems, it's funny because it, like we talk about a lot in scripture, we can mistakenly put ourselves in a, and arrogantly put ourselves in a position of like, oh, well, of course that's what someone would do. Uh, like, of course, that's kind of the conclusions you'd come to, or of course, that's how I would act in that situation. But if salvation history shows us anything, it's that God's people, and I'm including very much the four of us and the rest of the body in this, aren't always very good at going forward, even when the Lord is saying, this is where victory is. Like, it's a consistent theme throughout scripture that like, when the moment comes, you know, whether it be fear or doubt or regret, um, it's not always obvious. And it's not always this, well, of course, I'm gonna go take the lands. Like, we're not, we're not as cool as the Lord of the Rings people Charles mentioned. I'm still like in the second chapter into the book. Um, but <laughs> Sorry for the spoiler. I have already forgotten all of their names. So I think you're fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's something about human nature and about sin that in when the moment is there and victory is right there, paralyzes us. And the Lord throughout salvation history uses people in really profound ways to be that person who's willing to step into that victory. And it can't be overstated how difficult that is. Otherwise, it wouldn't be such a theme. And I'm thinking of like with Deborah, like the only uh, the names that come to mind who have done similar things in salvation history is Moses. 
in leading Israel like through the Red Sea and then through the wilderness, like over and over again, like he was met with resistance of, yeah, but like, what if, or we were better off here and knowing that God had a, a greater victory for them, he kept going. Joshua and one of my favorite passages of all time, when he like gets to the Jordan and is like, um, choose this day who you will serve and then lays out all the things that God has done. And so like, if we're looking at those characters in history and like the people that are held up as like conquerors of the faith, Deborah is one of them. And I just love that, like the strength to not just hear from a distance in a vague way, this battle is yours. You just got to fight it first. And then to get to the front lines and to see like all those men and their weapons and to still have this resounding, the battles are, we just got to fight it. I'm um, like, even going back to Joshua and Caleb, when they spied out the land and it was like, well, this land is good. They're just some giants. And people were like, well, what, well, hold on. So just like this, there's a, there's a unique character that, you know, I, I would love to say that I had, and I'm not sure that I do. And that I think is uh, all too rare in scripture that Deborah displays here. Even when like his, even the way she calls it out with Barack, she very specifically says like, you're going to go to this place. You're going to take these many men and he's going to deliver you two in your hands. Even when God gives an ingredient list and a recipe, it's not enough to get the commander of his army to go, but it was enough for Deborah. And there's a, there's a faithfulness there and a confidence that God's word is true that we can all take from her example. And I know this is in the next passage, but she's also on top of all her other roles, like a songwriter. Like she took the time to like then write a worship song to like praise the Lord and thank him for winning this battle. And that sets another example after, you know, doing all that she did and, or, you know, just a pause and then reflect and thank the Lord. So then she modeled that aspect of, you know, the role of, you know, what we need to do and leadership as well, Let's, you know, stop and thank the Lord because it would be so easy for her to be like, well, look what I did or, you know, look what we did, this big accomplishment, but look what the Lord did. So. Amen. I love that image of winning this massive battle. And it's like, Deborah, what's next? I'm gonna, gonna lay down a few bars. Uh, give these, uh, these people some uh, words to, to praise the Lord with. Well done. I'm going to, I'm going to leave that there. I'll go on a, a tangent. It's too late. <laughs> so with, so with that in mind, I, as I guess a final question, Kathleen. So you have kind of started your own uh, battle going into this school year. First real one, I say in the, with the biggest air quotes uh, in the world, like during the pandemic, um, so how, I guess, and what, what are some things that are kind of helping you model that confidence and that strength that we see in Deborah? Like you talked about, like finding the strength, like advocate for your kids, but what kind of keeps you anchored in those moments where it's like, oh, I'm covering a lot of class periods for people. And, oh, there's all these things I need to figure out that I didn't have to figure out before. Like, I guess what kind of gives you that courage to be, uh, that, uh, disciple in the classroom as well? That's a good question. I don't know if I have that totally figured out. Um, <laughs> just knowing that the Lord is with us and like the kids need to be back and we're just going to keep 
showing up every day and loving them. I think my biggest motto as a teacher is just like love first, teach second. So mm. this year is not necessarily about, and this sounds horrible, like Say teaching it. and like fixing all these holes <laughs> and making miracles happen and putting on 20 million performances, but it's about loving these kids and trying to keep them safe and hopefully we'll get some education in, but we're also in a pandemic. So keeping <laughs> expectations real, but I think just loving the kids that are in front of me every hour keeps me safe instead of worrying and stressing. Cause if I'm really stressed. I can't pay attention to the kids in front of me. Yeah. So. No, absolutely. Priorities. And I, so much of teaching as you've, uh, said and as like I've experienced as well and like the version of taking the land there is like kids knowing that they're loved kids knowing they're in a place where they can actually like be the people that they want to be and uh who God wants them to be and it sounds like you're you got that leading leading the the charges out to battle so so well done well done so if you're listening to this and you're like oh wow that just was a crazy setup for this battle and this route of Cicero's army but like what happened to Sisera, like this evil commander of uh, Canaan who oppressed Israel for 20 years? I, I really want to know what's next in his story. Well, you will have to listen in next week for the conclusion of our look into Judges 4. But that is all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Kathleen, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a blast. You're welcome, guys. Thank you. Wonderful. I'll have to have you back on at some point soon. Until then, you can check us out at atthewell.podbean.com. We upload new episodes every Monday, well, every other Monday on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can also connect with us on Instagram and Facebook by searching Three Guys at the Well. And if you want even more content and would like to help this podcast grow, consider becoming a patron and head over to patreon.com forward slash at the well for exciting new bonus content like our series on hope, our new series on justice, Jesus in the Movies, uh, at time of recording a Quiet Place episode coming soon and lots of other goodies. We'll talk to you soon here at The Well. Well.